Good day, everybody. This is Susan Elliott, host of Mean Lady Talking, and I want to welcome you to episode 17 of the Mean Lady Talking podcast. Now, this episode is going to be the second in a five-part series of legal issues with the personality disorder. This is mostly people that are either going through a divorce, child custody, visitation, and support. It is part of a three-part series that I had written for Psychology Today, and if you listen to episode 13, you know what happened there. And I really feel it's an important series that really needs to go out to the masses as quickly as it can. I'm trying to get all five parts recorded. So wherever you listen to it, on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you listen to the podcast, please remember to rate it, to review it, and to let other people know about it. Thanks so much. Take care, and away we go. Welcome to the Mean Lady Talking Podcast. This is the podcast that tackles tough questions about relationships, life, love, and loss. It may not be the advice you want, but it's probably the advice you need. And now here's your host, grief therapist, motivational speaker, relationship expert, best-selling author, and attorney, the not really mean, mean lady herself, Susan J. Elliott. Hey everybody, this is Susan Elliott, host of Mean Lady Talking Podcast, and today I'm going to continue with the second in a five-part series of the legal system with the personality disorder. Now, originally when I did this series, it was originally on Psychology Today, which if you listen to episode one of this particular series, which is episode 13 of the Mean Lady Talking Podcast, I explained the whole rift between me and psychology today. And I think that this was one of my most important series and it gave a lot of people a lot of good information. But psychology today has decided that cyberbullies should rule and they're scary cats of people who smack back at cyberbullies, which I did when I was attacked on Twitter, and apparently I have no individual rights, that if somebody says something stupid to me and attacks me in a way that I don't like or that's uncalled for, and they accuse me of things that I haven't done, I have no right to call them an idiot. But that's sad that I think that a mainstream publication like Psychology Today would take such a position and would unceremoniously tell me I can't write for them anymore because of one complaint from one night with no ability to even defend myself. So what I want to do is I want to get this information out to the masses because I think it's really important. And I originally did a three-part series for Psychology Today, and I've expanded it to a five-part series for the podcast. Now, since I did this series and since I did the first one, there's been an incident that happened in Arizona. There was a spree killing of six people that were somehow all related, and they were killed by a man named Dwight Jones. And Dwight Jones was a very violent man who was guilty of holding his child hostage with this police surrounding the house. I think his son was 11 at the time. And they finally got him to walk out with the child. And then after that, 
He and his wife went through a very bitter divorce. He had domestic violence charges against him. They were reduced to disorderly conduct. The whole thing about being in a police standoff and holding your child hostage was was down to disorderly conduct. And his wife, Dr. Connie Jones, is a very well-known radiologist. She's done a lot of pioneering work in women's breast cancer. And she also had placed recording devices around the house so that she would have some proof of what was going on. And yet, despite all of these different things, Dwight Jones was still able to own a weapon. He was still able to see his child, albeit with supervised visitation, but Connie had to pay for the supervised the supervisors and after an 11 year old child goes through something that traumatic he really didn't want to see his father it was another situation where the courts absolutely failed this family they absolutely failed connie jones and there was a psychiatrist a forensic psychiatrist named dr stephen pitt who wrote a report and i've talked about this on other podcasts and i've talked about this in other places that sometimes the court will order psychiatric testing done and usually the person who's not personality disordered is all for it and sometimes they'll they'll even offer to pay for it for both people well dr stephen pitt wrote a very long and detailed evaluation of dwight jones and said that if he was not helped that he was going to continue to destabilize and to become increasingly violent. Virtually nothing was done about Dwight Jones. And just this year, just in May of this year, in Scottsdale in Phoenix, Arizona, Dwight Jones killed six people, including Steve Pitt. It was a failure of the court system. And I explain this to people all the time. Now, this is a very high profile, very recent example of how courts don't get it. And as an attorney and as a former psychiatric clinician, and as somebody who even wrote for a mainstream publication that doesn't get it, that doesn't understand the importance of this kind of work, I try to stress to people, when you go to court, many times, it's a very traumatic experience. And even as a lawyer who knows the ins and outs of litigation, if I have to go to court for myself, I'm petrified sometimes, especially I don't want the judge to know that I'm a lawyer because they hold us to a higher standard. And sometimes I'm in there for an area of law I have no idea about. I had to go to a town court one time for landlord-tenant stuff, and I did. the last thing I wanted was for the village justice to know that I was a lawyer because he wasn't a lawyer. And I watched all the lawyers kowtow to him as they came in. There was some sort of deferential nonsense going on that I didn't understand, but I'd hoped that my opponent wasn't going to show up because I didn't want her to say, well, she's a lawyer and I don't know and blah, blah, blah. Normal people are not happy to go to court. One of the ways to understand if somebody has a personality disorder, if there's something wrong with them, they enjoy being in court. They're a vexatious litigant. And courts even have punishment for people who are too vexatious. But in family court, these people tend to get a lot of leeway. And that's wrong. And many times in family court, the judges and the attorneys will ignore the statutes that are in place. 
And two things that I want to bring attention to are one of the statutes is friendly parent statute. There's a lot of states that have a friendly parent statute, which basically says you should not alienate your child from the other parent. You should not talk badly about them. You should not bash them. You should not try to withhold visitation. You should try to make things as copacetic as possible. And there's many people who do exactly the opposite of that. And even though they're in a friendly parent state, the judge doesn't do anything about it. It's almost as if the judge doesn't even know that this exists. The other thing is the presumption of domestic violence means that you should not have full or even joint custody with your children. I know that one of my clients who lives in another state that I'm not licensed to practice in, I was telling her that there is a presumption against custody for people with domestic violence. And then she showed me her joint custody with her ex who had been, had three domestic violence and one DUI before they ever went to court and he won joint custody. Like the judge ignored the presumption and he was a vexatious litigant. He took her into court for everything. He basically wore her to the ground and the judge kept ordering them into mediation because the judge didn't want to hear it. So the judge kept ordering her into mediation and finally her lawyer said, this judge doesn't want to hear it. He's not going to give up, just agree to, to join custody. And I don't know if that was the correct thing to do or not. The lawyer seemed to know the judge, seemed to think that it was somewhat of a lost cause. But the rule on the books was that what happened because of his domestic violence and his DUI, he should have never been in that particular situation. He should have never had that advantage. He should have never been given joint custody. And there was even a CPS thing, a, a CPS incident called on him after he got joint custody. One day when he blew up at one of his kids in public and somebody in the restaurant or wherever they were called the cops on him. And still nothing happened. And she was just drained. I mean, she was just tired of going to court. But this is part of the problem. Part of the problem is that we expect, like we're good and just people, and we expect good and just results from the court system. And part of the problem with the court system is that they don't know anything about personality disordered people. And part of the thing is that many people come in and they'll say, well, mothers and fathers should have the same access to custody as each other. And that's true. And a lot of states are moving in that direction. But you don't start out with, okay, everybody gets the same shot at co-parenting. Everybody gets the same shot at custody. Everybody gets the same shot of visitation. And when you look at psychiatric reports they should mean something the psychiatric report that Stephen Pitt did on Dwight Jones didn't mean anything the court did nothing with it and Stephen Pitt basically predicted the future it came a long way off but Dwight Jones was destabilizing and destabilizing and destabilizing and he was destabilizing right on YouTube and then he killed six people and himself. And everybody goes, oh, what? And I have seen the court systems fail the people that need them to not fail them. And not everything winds up with six people dead. But a guy that has three domestic violence incidents and a DUI 
should not have joint custody of children. And then if there's a CPS call, he shouldn't keep that joint custody. When you are entrenched in a legal proceeding, either you're going through a divorce or you're trying to co-parent with a personality disordered person, your life may seem upside down long after your relationship ends. Because that is how a person with personality disorder, a narcissist, a sociopath, or a psychopath wants it. They won't have it any other way. It's very easy for the person who's trying to deal with the personality disordered person to be drawn into these emotionally charged emails because they send off these tirades. They accuse you of things you're not thinking. They tell you what you're thinking. They're telling you what your last email meant. It could have been the most harmless thing in the world. It's like, oh, you're trying to bulldoze me. You're trying to do this. You're trying to do that. And all you're trying to do is set a time to meet them for child exchange. It gets ridiculous. This is one reason why I tell people all the time. As soon as you and your ex, and I don't care if they're personality disordered or not. As soon as you and your ex separate, Work out a very clear and set visitation schedule because if the person has any kind of resentment, even if they're not personality disordered, they're dysfunctional or they're just angry or just whatever, they're going to not agree to things that seem to be perfectly agreeable. You're going to say, well, I don't understand. Or you'll give it to them and say, okay, well, you pick and then they won't pick anything. So whenever you put a set visitation schedule in place, you avoid all of that stuff. And I tell people, put a set visitation in place. And we had every other weekend, and then he was able to either visit or call on Tuesday nights. He gave up the Tuesday night thing like faster than I could spin like my eyes around. But before, when he was able to drop in, my life was always upside down. I mean, one time he showed up and took the kids while I was changing. I didn't even know where the hell he went. And there was no cell phone. I had no idea where they were, if they were ever coming back. You need to make sure that the minute you guys separate, whether you have a personality disordered ex or not, that you have a visitation schedule in place and you have a child support schedule in place. People with personality disorders, and many times people that are not even truly diagnosable on the axis too, which I explain in another podcast, but they're so dysfunctional. They're massive manipulators. They can suck you. Even if you're totally exhausted, even if you've gone never again, I'm never, ever, ever going down that road with this crazy person again, they can suck you into the vortex. They just know what buttons to push. They know what things to say. So I tell therapists, I tell lawyers, I tell friends and families, please, please, please encourage people who are trying to disengage from people with personality disorders or these high conflict personalities, whichever they are, please tell them not to engage with the personality disordered person. No matter what he or she says, no matter what they accuse you of, no matter how many knives they're sticking in your back, don't engage in it. Boundaries are difficult for most people. I work with this with clients. I work with it in my boot camps. I work with it in my groups. I work with it even in the legal world. I work with it in my clients. You know, I'll say, look, you can't, you can't be, doing this you have to set a boundary with this person but whenever anyone sets a boundary with a boundary crasher chances are that the crash is going to up the ante or rebel in a passive aggressive way a boundary crasher even someone who's not used to respecting boundaries 
or isn't used to you having boundaries will try to defy your boundaries and see if the boundary is real or is it just a line written in the sand. Many times I tell people, say, I've addressed this a hundred times. I'm not addressing it again. And I have had so many clients who are in some sort of legal issue or some sort of domestic dispute with a personality disordered person or an active alcoholic or a very disturbed or dysfunctional individual and the and the same arguments come up over and over again and the person will say look this is how we're going to handle this and that's it I'm not not addressing this again and of course the person comes back the next email like that those words were never spoken and I say just say as to blah 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 I told you I'm not addressing this again and just don't address it. Just acknowledge that they said it again and you're repeating. We've hashed this out a million times. This is my answer. I'm not saying it again. With a disordered person or a dysfunctional person or an active alcoholic or an active drug addict, something like that, it's challenging. But with the personality disorders, a boundary is almost intolerable to them and they'll continue to pick at you and pick at you and pick at you until you play the game again. And that's really important to watch out for, especially if you're only dealing in email. And I always suggest to people, do not give a very vexatious ex, a disruptive ex, an ex who wants to constantly engage you in some sort of communication. Do not talk to them on the phone. Do not talk to them in text. Put everything in email. The personality disorder wants attention and wants the world to understand that he or she has been wrong and that you are a selfish, horrible monster. The personality disordered person wants the world to see him or her as the great parent and the unwitting victim. Personality disorder wants a bully pulpit from which to bully and stew. They will accuse you of having cheated on them. They will accuse some of your children that are not their children of doing something wrong, even upping the ante to the point of accusing either your child with an, from another relationship of some sort of abuse of their child to try to drive a wedge between the children or to get a leg up in divorce and custody proceedings. You have to know that this stuff happens and you have to make sure that you have dash cams in your car, that you have video cams in your house and that you have recording devices around your house so that you know everything that's going on. And that's not to say that your kids are doing anything wrong or you're doing anything wrong. And it really didn't help Connie Jones when she had it. And that is a sad, sad fact. But I know a friend of mine who had video evidence that she didn't do what her personality disordered ex accused her of doing. And the district attorney didn't want to look at the video evidence that would exonerate her. It was ridiculous. If you're an attorney and there is video evidence, even though it's not supporting your case, it supports dismissal of your case, you should look at it. And people will say to me, how did the district attorney not want to look at it? I don't know. 
I mean, I was ready to call the man myself and say, what the hell is wrong with you? This case is going on and on and on and being continued and continued because the public defender keeps trying to get you to look at this videotape that shows absolutely she didn't do anything to him that he claimed she did. Why don't you want to see the truth? And he, he wasn't answering his phone, but I was ready to like barge in there. I can't tell you why a judge or an attorney doesn't want to know the truth. That's what they should want to know. That's what a family law office should want to know. That is what social services should want to know. That is what child protective services should want to know. They should want to know the truth. And when they don't want to know the truth, that's a problem. But I always have to tell people, don't expect that these people are truth seekers because that's not necessarily true. When you have an ex who just wants to keep this stuff up, you have to have boundaries and brief business-like communication with them at all times. Boundaries and brief business communication strip them of the attention-getting forum. When the person puts boundaries up as to time, content of email, and refuses to respond to non-essential email or rants, the personality disordered person will become extremely upset. When the non-personality disordered person stops playing, the personality disordered person explodes, sometimes internally, sometimes externally. So they can't contain their vexation most of the time. So now they don the overcoat of the unfairly rebuked. They whine, they whimper, and even though they're filled with anger, they know they have to play the victim part as they complain to the lawyers, the judges, the parenting coordinators, the social workers, the therapists, and anyone else who will listen. They will say that the non the non-personality disordered parent is being uncooperative, violating the parenting plan, causing strife in the Middle East, and disrupting the Earth's ability to orbit around the sun. I mean, the other parent will be guilty of absolutely everything that ever happened in the entire world. So then when the person who wants to keep things calm attempts to contain the attacks by minimizing contact, the personality disordered person explodes in full fledged victimhood. This is an important time because the personality disordered person, a narcissist, a sociopath, a psychopath is a master manipulator and will complain that co-parenting is not possible if he or she is shut down, even though it's not possible when they're not shut down and will never be possible no matter how many conditions you acquiesce to. The monsterization of the non-personality disorder parent continues. Even if an ex is full of anger, unless their personality disorder, eventually the anger and bitterness disappears. Because it has to. You have to realize after so much time, you have to go on. You have to go on with your life. This court business is nonsense. I don't want to live in the courthouse. I don't want to go through all this stress. This isn't worth it. I don't want to do it. People who come out of divorces very, very angry, which is most people, and they engage in a lot of disputes back and forth and back and forth, they eventually realize, even if they don't do any grief work, even if they don't do any breakup work, if they don't do the GPYB program, even if they never go to a therapist, 
whatever it is, they realize that they just can't go through life feeling angry and bitter all the time. So they start to realize that they want child visitation and support to go as smoothly as possible. And they want to stop fighting with the ex all the time. They have a life to live. They both have a life to live. Let's live our lives and get on with things. So brief and business-like communication is the method by which healing happens and good co-parenting begins. You have to get used to saying no. You have to get used to saying, you know, short business like this is how we do it. You have to understand that you can't switch weekends just to appease a child. You have to know that when you're dealing with a personality disordered person, they mistake kindness for weakness. You may upset your child by saying they can't go to whatever this weekend is because it's my weekend with you, but caving in will not be rewarded if you have a personality disordered ex. Now, the person that I know who landed in all this legal hot water, it all started because she let her daughter go to the father-daughter dance on her weekend. And this whole fight broke out at exchange. And she was doing a favor. If she had never gone, and I told her this over and over, say no, say no, say no. She said, I couldn't say no. I couldn't say no to her. She really wanted to go to the father-daughter dance. But when you're dealing with a personality disordered ex, you can't give in to stuff like that. You just can't. You have to suck it up and say no. If parenting coordinators and therapists don't understand that you cannot play in the sandbox with personality disorders, you cannot be flexible, you cannot exchange things, that's too bad. They should understand it. But there are many clueless therapists and many clueless parenting coordinators and many clueless lawyers. And you'll hear a lawyer say or a therapist say, oh, why don't you just do it this one time? Not if this person is combative. No, no, no. Because sometimes you are going to feel like you are just shoveling crap against the tide. And sometimes you are. But you have to remain strong and firm and committed. You have to continually tell yourself that the personality disordered ex cannot be trusted with your goodwill. It doesn't work out in your favor. They mistake kindness for weakness. Don't do it. You don't have to prove anything to anyone. I don't care what the therapist says. I don't care what the teacher says. I don't care what the family law person says. You don't have to do it. Don't give in to it. An unskilled parenting coordinator, and I've seen this time and time again, will side with the personality disorder. Instead of recognizing that you need to keep your boundaries and you need to keep communication to a minimum to sidestep this eternal barrage that they do, the unskilled parenting coordinator will say, oh, just talk to them about this. Oh, I don't see any abuse in this. And I think I said this on the last podcast. I said to a parenting coordinator, if you don't consider this abuse, you're in the wrong job, buddy. Because this is absolutely abuse. He called her every name in the book over and over again. And there was absolutely no point to the email that he sent other than to tell her how horrible she was. But you're the parenting coordinator. You're supposed to be like the playground monitor. And if you don't protect the person who's setting boundaries and saying, you can't call me all these names. And I've told clients of mine, both therapy clients and legal clients, if the ex sends you an email with an insult, you say, the minute I get to the insults, I'm deleting it and I'm not reading any further. The minute I come up to an insult, 
I'm deleting it. And that's it. And sometimes they'll say, you know, uh, I read your email up until the second sentence, had an insult, I deleted it. I don't know what you wanted, but, you know, if you want something from me, you need to send me an email without an insult. And I've had parenting coordinators say to me, why do you do that? And I'm like, because that's what makes it stop. That's, that's why I do that. And the fact that you're even asking me this question is ridiculous. Because if you have a parenting coordinator who is supposedly in charge and they've co-signed the insanity of the personality disorder, that leaves you even feeling more hopeless and helpless. There is no reason for co-parents of any kind to be in constant communication. You shouldn't be. Even if you have a good relationship, you should not be in constant communication. The breakup should be about making your own life. Schedules should not change often. Things should not crop up. And visitation arrangements should run smoother when there's few changes and little disruption. Most parents should just disallow any changes to the schedule except for the very rare occasion. That keeps everyone sane and life runs better and there's no disagreements and nobody's wondering where the hell is this person and where the hell is going on and why can't I have this weekend and blah 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 blah. But when you have a personality disorder or when you're a very dysfunctional individual, having a sane life and having life run smoothly is not your objective. So they will attempt to make changes, but you should resist changes. And when you resist changes, the parenting coordinator should support that decision. There should be very few reasons for any co-parent to communicate more than once or twice a week, even if that. Visitation should be on a strict schedule. Finances should be spelled out clearly. And any issues, doctor visits, teacher meetings, etc. should be the purview of one or the other parent. There's no reason to turn these normal occurrences into an anguished argument. There should be minimal issues where normal parenting situations are concerned. You're getting divorced for a reason. You don't get along. How are you going to be getting along in the world when you can't agree on what color the sky is? As time goes on, there should be nothing to argue about. Responsibilities should be spelled out in custody, support, and visitation agreements. Everyone should fulfill their responsibilities. If they don't, you might have to file a contempt charge or just let it go. Fighting about it constantly is not healthy. Sometimes one person will acquiesce and do what the other one was supposed to do. A couple that had different insurances might agree that the one with the better benefits will insure the children and take them to the doctor. The other one might have better dental insurance and would insure the children and take them to the dentist. But then it doesn't work that way. One does what they're supposed to do, the other one doesn't. After you have a couple of arguments about it, you either give up and take the children to the dentist or the doctor, you pay the bills and then file for reimbursement of the court, or you let it go. You have to make these decisions. My suggestion as an attorney would have been to file the contempt motion first because most judges frown on self-help. You could say, well, my child, you know, had a wisdom tooth coming in and I had to get it out. It was an emergency. That's one thing. And as a therapist, I'd be suggesting asking twice in eye language. I would appreciate it if you took the children to the dentist as they need their teeth checked. And after two requests, I suggest that you seek the assistance of the court. That's my advice as an attorney and as a therapist. That's what you do. You don't get into a fight about it. You ask twice in eye language and then you file contempt charge. Unless it's an emergency and then you can take your child to the emergency and then file for expense reimbursement.
But for the personality disorder and the people who want to keep it up and keep it up and keep it up, these situations are bait. They purposely skirt their responsibilities and argue over the smallest matters. Convinced, as they taught us in law school, that the law does not concern itself with trifles. They will build up enough trifling situations that the non-personality disorder parent becomes frustrated and aggravated and against their better judgment, they confront them. And that's exactly what they're gunning for. That's exactly what they're waiting for. There is an absolute method to their madness. A parenting coordinator who does not recognize the good and healthy boundaries being drawn by a person and actually enable the sick behavior of a co-parent is wrong. If the parenting coordinator is unskilled, the non-personality disordered parent has to do an end run around the parenting coordinator and take the manifestos and the entrapping straight to the judge. It's time to end the assault, and if the parenting coordinator can't assist, the judge has to assist. But I've also seen many parents in a situation where they've done that, and then the judge sides with the parenting coordinator and the sick co-parent. It's crazy. I have also witnessed non-personality disorder parents complain about the never-ending flow of critical emails laced with invective only to be met with the hand wave of a parenting coordinator or a judge or an attorney playing it down as understandable anger. Even when the anger is misdirected, unfounded, and clearly out of place years after the ink is dried on the divorce decree, parenting coordinators, attorneys, judges, and social services personnel may fail to recognize it for its abusive and corrosive nature. Like I said, even people who are dysfunctional, even people that have anger issues, even people that are active in alcoholism or drug addiction, move on from their anger after a few years. If you are still co-signing the anger of somebody three, four years after the divorce has been signed and they're still going on and on about how, oh my goodness, she left me for some other guy and blah, blah, blah. And even if none of that is true, you're part of the problem. And people with personality disorders are not stupid. They will lace the emails with concern about the children and horror at your behavior that you're not jumping up and down about what they want you to jump and up and down about. And they'll mockingly remind you that you're beholden to this parenting plan. By echoing certain phrases, they craft the communication in a way to garner the approving nod of the parenting coordinator, the lawyer, and the judge. But the difference between a skilled and unskilled parenting coordinator becomes clear at this point. An unskilled coordinator falls for it. An unskilled parenting coordinator does not see the abuse when it's abuse and that is very dangerous. By failing to call out a person who is using abusive tactics or even worse, labeling abusive tactics not abuse, the parenting coordinator becomes an advocate for the sick parent. And that only works against the other parent. Allowing the personality disorder to continue this behavior is tantamount to saying to an abuse victim, you know what, we don't care. If the personality disordered person drove to the non-personality disorder's parent's house and punched that person in the face, the same professionals would lock this person up and be issuing restraining orders. Yet they allow these figurative punches made through email 
day after day in the name of parenting cooperation. Unless and until these verbal assaults are recognized for what they are, and that is abuse. They are abuse, plain and simple. These personality disordered individuals or extremely dysfunctional individuals will continue to make a mockery of the court system, the parenting coordinated system, the attorneys, the judges, and the other parent. And when that happens, the monkeys are running the circus. It is absolutely inexcusable for a high-level forensic psychiatrist like Stephen Pitt to write what he said about Dwight Jones and to have that completely ignored. And for that child who was traumatized to have that incident knocked down to a disorderly conduct and then six people die at the hand, seven if you count Dwight Jones, when somebody is acting disordered and somebody is being told, if the court system is being told this person has issues, this person has domestic violence in his or her background, this person should not be given joint custody. The minute somebody lies about another person, that should be taken very seriously. And courts have to talk to each other. When the case that I talked about a few times on this podcast happened, the family court and the criminal court did not coordinate with each other. And the family court should have said to the criminal court, what the hell is going on? What do you mean there's a videotape and you don't want to watch it? You should want to know the truth more than you want to give anybody the time of day. If somebody is so psychiatrically ill, they need to get help. They need to be brought into the system and shown that there is a way for them to get help. And nobody should be forced to visit with a parent who has traumatized them. And nobody should be forced to be have joint custody with somebody who has three domestic violence charges. Now, Everybody knows that one of my big peeves is people who play the system, who think that they're going to get a leg up on the legal system by calling domestic abuse or sexual abuse or something like that right before a separation or right after a separation happens. The courts have to get savvy to that as well because the courts have failed litigants in that aspect too. There's a lot of people playing with the system, and I think that they need to be punished. People who call CPS on somebody else just to be vexatious, they need to experience very severe penalties. People who accuse someone else of domestic violence or sexual abuse, and there's never been any history of it, nothing's ever happened until a separation came up, there has to be severe penalties. One of the issues that I have as a former domestic violence victim, and I talk about this in the Jodi Arias stuff that I've written. I mean, my big issue with Jodi Arias was she's not a domestic violence victim. And she, parade, she paraded this whole self-defense thing, which I didn't buy for a minute. And there's many other people who are, try, who are trying to get a leg up by domestic violence. But then there's other people, like the woman that I told you about, who had her, her ex dragged her into court for absolutely everything. He had three domestic violence charges on a DUI. This man was not afraid of being in court. Anyone who has that many charges should be afraid. But he wasn't. And he bullied his way through the court system the same way he had bullied himself through her and her children. It's not okay. 
courts have to start separating the wheat from the chaff. You know, it's like you cannot keep doing this. You can't keep getting it wrong. Whew. Okay, so that's that's part two of dealing with the legal system and the personality disorder. I hope you learned something, at least, you know, how to put boundaries, how to say no, how to realize that not everybody's on the same page as you and that you take care of yourself. And if you have any questions, you've got three more parts to do. And I really welcome your questions about this, your situation. Let me know what's going on and I'll try to help you out the best that I can. Take care, everybody. Remember, you can.